Do you ever wonder why United States residents can't participate in so many ICOs? What's the real difference between a security token and a utility token? And what happens if someone who isn't supposed to buy a token ends up doing it? We visited with John Hensel of Securency while at the Crypto HQ house during our recent trip to Davos and were intrigued by the depth of his knowledge. We also have a great discussion with a new ICO that's building a global online investment platform. Call Doc Brown and charge the DeLorean with 1.21 gigawatts because we are going bank to the future in episode number 81 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, Marty, you're incorrect. It's 1.21 gigawatts. Not 1.21 gigawatts. Whatever you said there, that was incorrect. I said gigawatts, but I didn't do it with the Doc Brown voice, which... um, (laughs) You did superbly, uh, Mr. Travis Wright over there, Joel Com here, and uh, we're glad that you guys are with us for another fascinating, um, In what's what's the word I want to say, stroll? No, we're not strolling, meander, no, saunter. No, we're going to go 88 miles per hour. <laughs> there you go, because that's what it takes yeah. in order to go back to the future. Play on words, because we've actually got... A an ICO spotlight within this edition of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Typically, so we meta. have them just so meta. <laughs> usually, we just do them on the one episode a week. But uh, these guys, uh, we took a look at what they're doing. They really wanted to get their message out there as quickly as possible. And as always, this will be a sponsored segment of the show. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But speaking of sponsors, shout out to our ongoing sponsor, the Zilla app. Abasa Phillips and his app, which he is wrestling with um, the App Store to finally get this thing in there and, and not sure why it's not yet showing up, but it's the ICO Marketplace app that we've been talking about. And ZLA.io forward slash bad is the site where you can check it out. Zilla has already had a very successful ICO. I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I think they raised about 15 million somewhere in the the ballpark and the they app just raised 15 million. I just quoted you on that. <laughs> uh, and they're, they're going to allow you to uh, check out ICOs within the app and vote on them. So ZLA.io forward slash bad is uh, where you'll be able to check that out. And uh, let's go to the mailbag. Bad Ripple voicemail. You have one new message. Hey, this is Brian Hyland calling from sunny Fort Collins, Colorado. Want to wish you guys a great day and stay bad. Thanks for the call, Brian. Appreciate it. We are staying as bad as is humanly possible. And Nathan has written us via the contact form on our website at Bad Crypto Podcast to say, I'm a new listener, just powered through a bunch of episodes, loving it. Isn't that a McDonald's? That is trademarked. He cannot say those things without putting a TM there. Thank you for preaching the hodling gospel. I had fallen into the day trading trap and you guys pulled me out. So thanks for that. 
Oh, we rescue people, oh, Travis. Wow. Somebody needs to save me. Also, in one of your episodes, you asked to hear about people that accept crypto as payment for services and products. And I'm working on doing that. My side job is driving a pedicab in New Orleans. And I always try to get people to pay me in crypto, but I have not yet had any takers, sadly. Mm. What's going on in New Orleans? Why ain't New Orleans down with the crypto? I know, right? They should be a, there should be a conference down there, Cryptorleans. Right, it should be a Marty coin. Yeah, for real. Oh yeah, you flip, you give somebody a coin, and they they show them your their beads, right, or something. Yeah, I don't know how it works. He continues. I find it's a great way to start a conversation and engage with my customers. Though I do have a question: Do most people that accept crypto as a payment use Coinbase or a wallet or a cash app? I will also dig deeper into this idea of accepting crypto as a payment, but would love to hear more about how other people accept crypto as a payment. Stay bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if having a wallet, I, I have a bread wallet on my iPhone and I can, you know, accept Bitcoin or Spendify bit, 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 Bitcoin with it. Yeah, and you can also do that with Coinbase. So if you have the Coinbase app, you can use uh, Bitcoin, Bcash, Litecoin or Ethereum. So you can take payments in all of those and that, I find that Coinbase is a great way to get people started on crypto the first time. So maybe what you can do then is instead, if you haven't gotten people to send you crypto, maybe just get them to download the Coinbase app using your affiliate code. <laughs> so you need to use crypto, you guys. Yeah. In your pedicab, right, with your affiliate link. Yeah, put that right there. And then uh, $10 free Bitcoin. Yeah, boom, all day. People are trying to get on your pedicab. Next thing you know, you just made $10. Uh, but yo, Nathan, we know what you mean. Like we've had bad crypto since July and we have had our, <laughs> we've had our crypto, you know, donation number on every single one of our show episode notes and nobody has ever paid us in crypto either. So <laughs> you don't give me crypto yeah. anymore. You never did. You never did for six months. We're like, Hey, we're teaching all about crypto. Nobody's ever actually sent us crypto. We've well, the, the, a little. <laughs> Trace amounts. Trace. We, we've gotten some trace amounts, we like, a, you know, a point oh oh one of a Litecoin and stuff mm, like that. That's pretty good. You know what? We don't need anything from you guys. That is true. We've not sold anything to them. We're here to serve you, and we're glad to be here. Hey, Joel and Travis. Uh, my name is Tim Baldwin from Pennsylvania. I'm still binging and listening to the, uh, to the episode where Travis got hacked. Um, my question is related to creating accounts with wallets and exchanges. This might be overkill, but should you use a different email address for each exchange slash wallet you sign up for? Or as long as your email account has the 2, 2FA capability, you should be clear. Thanks, and stay back. You know, uh, that would be a big pain in the ass. I don't, <laughs> I guess separate email for each one. Wow. You know what might work would, would be, um, get yourself a, an encrypted email address, right? Maybe Proton Mail might be a solution for you if you want to check that one out. I don't know if there's any other emails that allow encrypted stuff, but supposedly that's supposed to be the most secure one. Maybe try that. Maybe use a couple of different ones. If you're using one for each one, I mean, how many how many exchanges have you bought crypto on in your career so far, Mr. Jolcom? Too many. Too many. Imagine having an email address for each one of those wallets by its, wow. Whew. No, it hurts my brain. I'm it not going to do that. Too. Yeah. No, Tim Baldwin. So, we are not email advisors. 
Uh, but, but we do advise you to write us, and maybe we'll give you a bad answer to your question. It's badcryptopodcast at gmail.com or via the contact form on our website at badcryptopodcast.com. Just click the Contact Travis and Joel link, and it will magically load up a page with a form. Or call us on the Bad Crypto Hotline. And what's that number, Travis? The number is 708-885-9030. And nobody is better than Mr. Joel Com. Well, we've actually got a double feature. This is like the drive-in movies, Travis. You remember where you would pull in and then you would you'd get two movies for the price of one? Yes, and luckily the audio on this sounds a lot better than that speaker that you had to put in your car. Uh, yeah, that speaker. That was, but you know, we, did you really go for the movies or did you go for the experience? Right. Uh, I just snuck in the trunk because as my parents told me to get in there because it was cheaper <laughs> that way. Get, a, get in the trunk. <laughs> well, we're going to get to our interview with John Hensel of Securency in just a moment. You're going to find it fascinating because it's dealing with, um, you know, ICOs and tokens and utilities and securities and all the stuff that a lot of you have been asking about. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got another great discussion with uh, one of the pioneers one of the gentlemen who's been involved in the Bitcoin world since 2011 actually wrote the book on it, Bank to the Future. And this is a sponsored ICO segment. Um, the Bad Crypto Podcast has been compensated to bring you this feature. We think you're going to enjoy it and learn a lot from it. So why don't you take us, Doc Brown? Marty, let's go bank to the future. Hey, Doc Brown, where are we going to go? We're going to go bank to the future, Marty. <laughs> well, we actually do have to go back a little bit because our guest on this special sponsored ICO spotlight segment of uh, Bad Crypto Podcast, they've actually been in business for a couple of years with an investing platform, and they're just now opening up the securities aspect of it and um, tokenizing it. His name is Simon Dixon. He's the CEO and co-founder of Bank to the Future. And uh, just drop the A, and it's bnktothefuture.com. Uh, welcome, Simon, to Bad Crypto. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. And the, if you add the A, it will still work because it will redirect you to the right domain. Oh, well, brilliant. I, you know, I thought maybe somebody had taken it and you just went with BNK. Um, you know, I wasn't sure if that was going to be your token or what. It, it's, it, the story is, is you need to have a banking license to have bank in your name. So. Ah, okay. Well, tell us a little bit about the existing business that you guys have had and what you do. Sure. Okay. I mean, may, maybe a bit of background. So um, I, I, I spoke at the world's first Bitcoin conference um, in Prague way back in 2011. Um, I've been investing in the sector, investing in about 100 different companies. Um, some of them include like BitPay, BitPayser, uh, Kraken, Bitstamp, Bitfinex, and about 100 different others. Oh, um, and I wrote the first book. Yeah, and I, I wrote the first book in the published book in the world that covered Bitcoin and just been investing in the industry ever since. But um, way back in 2010, we started securing licenses to allow people to invest online. And this is right in Bitcoin's early days. So there was uh, no concept of being able to invest on a global scale like we do with tokens today. 
And so we were really busy securing all the securities license. It took us about five years to get all the registrations we need and persuade regulators of this new model. But in 2015, we launched um, as an online venture capital firm. Um, and we, because we've done so well in our investments in Bitcoin and some of the early token sales like MasterCoin, Ethereum, Storage, MadeSafe, all the early ones, we didn't really need any venture capital funding. So we decided to use the business just to allow people to co-invest in many of the deals that we were getting invited to as an early investor in the industry. This was before token sales got really popularized. So at that time, it was all equity and we treated everything as securities. But then a lot of disruption happened, as we saw the ICO boom this year, and uh, everyone started tokenizing everything. And and uh, everyone, it kind of opened up uh, to people that were looking at, at purchasing tokens. And so what we wanted to do is kind of uh, our, our phrase now of what we're doing next is we looked at the, the ICO sector boom and we recognized that we'd spent so long securing the licenses that at some point these, are all, these might all be securities and this will all be regulated. So um we decided to use our platform for when these things become, you know, a bit more regulated and the regulators kick in like it, it kind of is right now so that this the market can continue. But this time, rather than actually purchasing tokens, which don't actually aren't shares in the company, we could take the best of what happened with ICOs and combine it with all the investor protections and rights of equity. Um, and so we're looking at launching a securities token market where you can purchase equity in many of the largest Bitcoin, Bit blockchain and um, companies in the industry that we already hold equity in um, and allow them to trade on a marketplace. So that's kind of where we are right now. And we, we launched a token to facilitate that process. So that's fascinating. So not only are these companies going to be able, people will be able to buy tokens in these various different companies through Bank to the Future, you're going to be able to allow people to buy equity in some of these companies as well. Yeah, the, the other way around, actually. We started as equity. So, you know, people have, we've got 50,000 accredited investors that have invested in companies like Kraken, Bitstamp, Bitfinex, and some of the largest, most valuable companies in our industry, uh, BitPay and, and others. And uh, we were kind of, you know, faced with the disruption of the token market because everyone was looking at tokens as, as it opened up. Um, but now that's kind of gone full circle where regulators are now kicking in. And, you know, we, we kind of come from a traditional finance background, but we also were Bitcoiners right from very early. So we understand what, what being a Bitcoiner means and what being a crypto person means. So we think we can, you know, as, as this market matures, we can continue the growth of the market that, that has been experienced from uh, these many of these token sales. But we also have the, the protections that issuers need so that large, larger companies can actually start doing this. Well, we'd love to hear your, uh, your definition of this. What does it mean in your mind to be a, a Bitcoiner? Um, well, Bitcoiners are very, a, a different breed of people. So, um, you know, we, we, I got into this because of disruption in banking. I was originally in investment banking. I left in 2006 because I believed that there was systemic risk in the system and started talking on that. Um, and then when I was invited to the first Bitcoin conference, it was by an activist called Amir Taki. He was an early Bitcoin developer. And, you know, in the room then, there was about 40 people in the room when we gave the presentation about the difference between Bitcoin and banking. And everything, you know, the room was divided in two, half computer scientists um, and the other half diehard activists that wanted a world without banks and governments. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the roots of this. This was all created to create disruption in traditional finance to allow people to own their own assets, own their own money, and transact outside of the traditional financial system. 
and really, you know, have 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 a currency or a, you know that that really is independent of any government agenda and any any kind of politics around that. And so, you know, that that's what we've that's that's what I signed up for when I originally got into this industry. Um, and then from there, obviously, Bitcoin produced lots of different like different types of user cases and different blockchains and everything we see today. But, you know, we're here because, you know, Bank to the Future was always used because we didn't, we believed that there was major disruption coming in traditional finance. We just didn't know which companies were going to succeed and we wanted to invest in them all and diversify widely. So we, we created the platform to allow others to co-invest with us, diversify very widely um, and invest in anything that makes banks less significant in the future. Now, you actually even wrote a book called Bank to the Future that came out six years ago in February of 2012, uh, Protect Your Future Before Governments Go Bust. So you have been on the cutting edge of this for a very long time. So for one, nicely done on that. That's awesome. Let's ask a little bit about your technology and and where the technology is now, because, you know, a lot of companies, when they're doing a, a token launch or a, an ICO, their technology maybe isn't completely fully baked. It sounds to me like your technology is mostly done because you've been in business so long already. How, so what is the state of the technology as it is right now versus how how will we built out after the ICO? Um, so at the moment, we, we play in the primary market. So if someone's doing a new equity issuance or a new token sale then we can do that in compliance with securities laws. As part of our suite of companies, um, we're registered with the monetary authority for our country. Uh, we also own a U.S. broker-dealer, and we um, have an equity interest in uh, an alternative trading system, ATS. So for those that have been following the regulations, um, when the SEC said the, the, the DAO tokens were securities, they recommended that in the future these will need to be traded on an ATS. Now, uh, I did when we were trying to acquire an ATS. We we looked there. There was only about eighty one ATSs we could find. Most of those were owned by large banks, and then all the only one of them had authorization for the secondary market trading of private securities, and that was the one that we ended up acquiring um, and, and and getting a, a, an interest in, and uh, that allows us to actually do the next phase of our of our business plan, which is take this private equity, tokenize it and then allow people to trade them much like they do with existing you know crypto from in in exchanges but then we can whitelist into the in, into these smart contracts and these tokens some of the securities laws so that so that only the people that are allowed to do this um we would love to be fully open to everybody but securities laws doesn't allow for that but we can bake as much of security law into the smart contract um, and allow people to get the both the best of, you know, both worlds really the tra- the, the traditional finance um, securities laws at the same time as um, the, you know, the liquidity that we've seen with many of these cryptos and, and tokens. Well, let's talk a little bit then about the ICO itself. It looks like you've got a BF token. BFT is the symbol. Share with our audience about the ICO and where it is in the process and what they get and who can be involved and all that good stuff. Sure. So, um, you know, we've got, we've got our equity platform at the moment. Um, by Q3 2018, we want to launch a securities token market where um, people can trade this equity and securities. And we've been looking at many of the major problems. So we, we identified it three major problems that we need to overcome to make a market work. The first was the regulatory. So we secured all the licenses. The second was the technology. So now blockchain has become mature enough to be able to very quickly and easily launch a token and 
put some kind of rules and securities laws into the smart contracts. But the third one is actually the most, the hardest and the one that's ignored by many, which is transparency and a fair and a fairness of market. So um, we've been working because, you know, we've been doing this for so long. We noticed that there's a few things that people get really angry about and annoyed about um, and that makes the market less transparent and less fair. And that is that you, you know, when companies raise finance, they don't provide enough investor updates. They don't provide enough investor updates because they're busy trying to create a company and all the challenges that come with that. And then we, we had this major problem of, of finding the deal. So unfortunately, we have a 95% rejection rate once we've gone through all the due diligence of everyone that applies. But this year, it just exploded. We used to know every deal that was happening in the industry. Uh, then in 2017, it grew beyond anything we could handle. So we wanted to create a more decentralized and community-involved process of helping us select the deals, conducting due diligence, and doing investor relations. So uh, the BF token was launched to solve those real problems. So rather than creating a token and then hoping it solves some problems, we had some real problems and we created the token uh, to solve them. And that is, we, we came up with three user cases. First is a, is a membership token, which means that if someone qualifies to invest on Bank to the Future, then by staking some BF tokens, they can get priority access to some of the deals that, that sell out really, really quickly and only really the venture capitalists get a look at, but we can allow our token holders to get in first. The second one is a rewards token. So if people participate in helping us um, provide timely investor updates and companies provide more updates um, and they conduct more due diligence, then we worked with Smith & Crown to design a token that, allow, that rewards people for that um, and they can earn tokens. And then the third user case is when, when we uh, launch our secondary trading market, we're going to allow people to pay their trading fees with the BF token. And those are the three user cases of the token to really help us just just create more transparency, more information flow, and incentivize our community to provide more updates and conduct more due diligence um, on these deals and, and really find the right one. So that, that was the goal of the token. There's actually a community aspect to it then, right? Yeah, so we, we have 50,000 um, registered accredited investors, and um, we wanted to open it up beyond just the accredited investors and allow people to kind of earn tokens and perhaps become accredited investors. Well, it's accredited just for the US, but it's, each country has their own definition and we've integrated with securities laws all around the world. And, um, but we wanted to allow people to earn tokens and participate in the process. And then perhaps they can become a qualifying investor to, to, to get priority membership to some of the deals as their wealth grows as well. Hey, Travis, if they're all helping each other out and they do a good job, maybe they could also earn BFF tokens. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> I was just going to ask about that. So you created the BFT token. Uh, why not the BNK token? Um, I think the ticker BNK was taken by somebody. I looked on Coin Market Cap and I was like, that must be one of those dead tokens that nobody has anymore. Yeah, and, and the B, B, BNK for us. Well, BNK is actually there's there's a whole story around it. You know, the, the, with my final book. Once this is all done and, and Bitcoin is completely and tokens are completely disrupted, finance um, is the bank stole my A. So I still want to put the A back. And for regulatory reasons, we weren't allowed the A in the bank. Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay. But we want to get that back when, when, when crypto actually becomes bigger than banking. And that's kind of our long-term mission and why we're investing in all these industries. So eventually, uh, these crypto companies end up acquiring banks.
Nice. Simon wants his damn A back, you guys. This is not fair. Love it. All right, so you guys have reached a hard cap of $30 million in less than 15 hours. So, uh, and then, but you still have the, you're still pre-registering for the public sale. Yeah. And the whitelisting is beginning shortly. So you've already had a ton of interest on this thing right from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we were really over out, overwhelmed. I mean, just, just in our, you know, our support ticket, I think we had about 80 million of demand that we had to say no to. So, you know, it's a, it's a very, and this is during the, the, the bear market crash as well. So I'm very flattered and honored that we, we managed to do that. But we also wanted to open up the public sale just for people that wanted to use the tokens um, and increase the size of the community. So we're doing a whitelisted process and, uh, you know, we're trying to get some wide, wider distribution there. And we're capping it between $1,000 and $10,000 contributions for those that want to use the token and be part of the community. Banktothefuture.com is the website, gang. You can go there and read all about um, the, the process that they uh, – to see if you qualify to invest. There's basically a place where you can click says Get Started Now. There's an investor video. tells you a lot more about the site. And uh, Simon, where's the best place for people to go to chat? Um, about this with you and with others who are interested? Um, so for me, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, my, my, my Twitter is at Simon Dixon Twit. When I signed up to Twitter, um, I could only get the twit. So uh, we got that on the end. And then we've got, a, we've got a Telegram community. We don't use too many of the public forums because, you know, we, we, we try to operate within uh, the realms of regulations and, and regulators don't like these open, free, uh, democratic communications. So, uh, but we, we, we've got a, a Telegram community, which uh, uh, is, is very active with, with real people that are participating in this, in this community. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us and, and good luck as you expand uh, Bank to the Future. Hey, thanks for having me. There's so many questions in the investing space about who can participate in which ICOs, right? We're getting those questions all the time, Travis. And the answers that we have are, we are not financial advisors. <laughs> the answers we have are bad. You know, we go by what the companies who are doing the ICOs tell us. Uh, you know, this is a token, but you're not eligible if you're in the United States or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, our guest in this segment is John Hensel. He's with a company called Securency. It's a little playoff secure currency, securency.com. And welcome to Bad Crypto, John. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy to be with you guys. How, so how do you guys solve this problem? Well, uh, just, I guess just to step back a bit and describe who we are and, and what we're about. Uh, so we're a, a reg tech and a fintech company. And it's important to have both of those two elements together. Reg tech. Reg tech being regulatory technology. Mm -hmm. Great question. Sorry not to, mm -hmm. uh, to jump. And then, of course, fintech, financial technology. Mm -hmm. I've not heard reg tech before. That's the first okay. time for that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so and you being a MarTech guy. And I'm a MarTech guy. Yeah. yeah. So the points that you brought up in your opening about, you know, eligibility, well, that comes directly from regulatory compliance, right? The ability or eligibility of an, an individual to participate in an offering. So what we have done is we've developed a platform. It's a software as a service that we either host on our own uh, site, our own landing page, or can be white labeled to other customers uh, to be used to support their client base and their offerings. Our whole purpose is to be able to take traditional private placements, investment products that have been in the marketplace, uh, but largely inaccessible to the global investor base and make them available to a, a broader uh, qualified group of investors. So everybody gets to play. 
Well, not everybody. Only the qualified. Only the qual- only the sexy people. Only. <laughs> Same the, for everybody. Not the bad ones. Only the yeah. sexy people. Well, it, you know, and you bring up a good point there. You know, you mentioned the word bad. So, what we can do through regulatory technology is qualify participants who come into the marketplace. So, first of all, anyone who comes in, you, you got to know who they are, right? So, you're going to go through an identity identification process, KYC, know your customer. Uh, and in that process, we use a, a very capable uh, system. It's called the Attribute Exchange Network that qualifies a person by virtue of their identity. So we know who they are. We authenticate who they are. By virtue of knowing where they're from, we know their jurisdiction. And then you can begin to apply the jurisdictional rules that are associated with where they live, as well as the requirements for the offering that they may be interested in investing in. So that that KYC part is the initial step of qualifying. We use a RegTech platform to do that. So when people are signing up for a particular one, now some, they just say, where are you from? Like, oh, I'm from wherever. And I got a VPN that says that I'm from wherever, right? So I guess you guys would be a little more sophisticated where you need to like upload an ID or you need to verify some. So how 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 does some of that verification stuff work? Because a lot of people will just sort of, you know, BS their way through it so they can get to be a part of a particular ICOs they want to be a part of. It, you're, it, unfortunately, that does happen with some. Uh, our our system is, is much, much more robust. Give you a little bit of background on who we are and how we kind of got to this space. You look at our CEO. Uh, his name is Dan Doney. And... A very, very close friend of his, and his name is Dave Cox. Both uh, were colleagues at the National Security Agency in the U.S. for about a decade, post 9-11. Worked on some very, very challenging identity-proofing problems that existed within the intelligence community. Things that became apparent following the post 9-11 commission report. Well, those same principles we can now apply into financial markets. And we use a system called the Attribute Exchange Network. So you're going to self-declare who you are, you know, what your name is, where you're from, uh, your tax ID, your uh, national ID, depending on what country you're from. Our system then uses a whole host of sources to corroborate that the information that you provided is correct. So we have positively identified who you are and then can apply the rules that are applicable to you by virtue of the jurisdiction that you're from. This begins to set the, the stage for uh, are you a, a U.S. citizen? Okay, that's not a very hard bar to, to clear or figure out, a resident, I should say. May, are you an accredited investor? You know, so what financial qualifications do you have? We're not here to determine whether or not a person should or shouldn't be accredited uh, to participate. You're, you're we're tracking here, it. We're tracking to ensure the laws are going to be enforced so, so that the offering remains eligible. So does that mean that your customer are the companies that are having an ICO? Right. So our clients are the effectively the offerers okay the portfolio managers the uh, the uh, startups the uh, the investment opportunity they are our clients does that mean that a lot of these companies that are offering ICOs are unwittingly operating outside the law and that many people that are participating are also you know i think it's something that's quite possible it, it's you know, you use the word unwittingly, whether it's uh, naivety or it's uh, intentional, I'm not here to judge. But what I do know is that the SEC, starting in July of 2017, uh, began to signal to the community uh, in the United States. And then, of course, other countries followed like Singapore and South Korea and China and Switzerland and others, recognizing that if an offering is, in fact, a security, then it needs to be compliant with securities law. 
So I guess, you know, if, if they're doing an ICO, they could just like, well, we lost five months of all that information, you guys, like the FBI just did <laughs> with their, their, their text. They, oh, we lost all, I don't know, it's five months of it, I don't know. But um, so, so that's, it's really fascinating. So you guys are, are sort of solving that problem and, you, and you're not doing a token. You don't have a token. You're no, just, this, this you're, is, you're working with right. companies that have tokens. Right. So, it, well, we, we will. If it's a new listing, we will create a token for them. So it's unique to their portfolio or unique to their offering. It's called a compliance aware token. It's something that we have a patent on and it brings in the components of distribution control. You know, you talked about the other uh, companies that have offered ICOs in the past. It's one thing to go out and raise capital and, and now have a bunch of limited partners in your offering. And it's, you've done it on a distributed ledger and that's really cool. But those tokens are, um, regulated share interests in a private placement or some other type of regulated product. You can't just go give them to somebody else. Distribution control is significantly important. The portfolio manager is runs the risk of uh, violating securities laws if he loses control of his cap table. And similarly, anyone who's holding an interest in a, in a portfolio that they're not eligible to hold has also violated the law. So we want to prevent that from happening. So back to the reg tech theme, by making sure that all participants in the marketplace, not just the initial offering, but the secondary market, the qualified secondary market, that they have the credentials to hold, trade, or tra transfer a token. And this distribution control component, this compliance-aware token, is a real differentiator for us. Now, does, it, does that apply whenever they're on the exchanges? Because once they're on the exchanges, it's kind of like it's game off. No, no, no. And once, once those tokens are, are released... They can only be held, trade, or transferred by eligible participants. So the secondary market participants are equally qualified. So again, going back to a scenario where it's a U.S. investor, it's a Reg D offering, it's a, a accredited investor, you know, all of these criteria need to be met. But if they're met, then you can participate in the market. So, right. So if it's on Bittrex and I can just go and buy some with some Bitcoin, but I'm an American citizen or whatever. You're going to have to be eligible to get to that in the system needs to know that you're eligible. Now, Bittrex, it's not integrated into our platform yet, but every one of these exchanges, whether it's a Afex or another currency exchange or crypto exchanges, they can all be brought into our marketplace through a simple API. And this, this capability is going to allow the free flow of value across all forms, crypto, fiat, uh, equities, and security tokens. This is just another indicator that we are in such an infant stage of this industry, and there's a lot of cleanup that needs to be done. Uh, anyhow, John, and, and also, I want to add this: it also seems like that's almost like a power play by the by the the wealthier people to, in, in this, the SEC to kind of clamp down. So, if it gets to the point where the little guys can't go on Bitrix and buy EOS or can't go and buy some of these tokens that they want, that hoses the little guy, and that kind of goes against what crypto stands for in a way. So that could be a big problem. If you get integrated in all these other exchanges, you're going to eliminate a lot of people all over the world, potentially in some cases, then they're not going to be able to invest in the space anymore, it sounds like. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you got to keep in mind that a portfolio manager is going to select which jurisdiction they want to issue in. So whether it's the United States or it's the UAE or it's Singapore or Hong Kong or Switzerland or wherever it may be, the laws in that respective jurisdiction apply to that offering. Okay, that's step one. Step two is every participant who comes to the marketplace has to be compliant with the jurisdiction mm -hmm. from which they come from. So it could be an offering that has global exposure, but 
certain criteria in certain parts of the world or certain countries would preclude a participant. Now, would you think that that, I know we're going a little long here, but I know that that might actually stymie innovation, right? Because like now if, if, well, in America, you have to be an accredited investor and you have to have this and you have to do this before you can invest in this. And then, then they're going to go, oh, well, screw it. I'm going to go set up my company in the Grand Cayman Islands. And so I don't have to deal with those. So basically, a lot of these the, the smart, intelligent, potential badass companies will end up not, you know, uh, having their business in America. It sounds like I don't know if I agree with you. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think on Cage the surface, match. I think you could you could jump to that conclusion. Yeah. Think about this in today's world. There's about I'm going to spitball here because you know volatility in the crypto market is significant. Let's say there's 600 billion dollars worth of cryptocurrency today of the what is it 13 or 1400 crypto tokens that are in, in mm -hmm. circulation. All right, that's a lot of money, right? 600 billion dollars, a lot of money. Alternative asset classes, real estate investment trusts, power purchase agreements, microloan portfolios, account receivable portfolios, whatever it may be. 8.2 trillion dollars worth of value. I mean 25x where cryptocurrency is today. Mm -hmm. When you can now bring the efficiencies of the crypto markets, transferability, transparency, all of the benefits of what the crypto markets can do, but bring it to the securities world, the traditional financial products, now you've got a dividend-producing asset-backed digital currency. Okay, I can trade and transfer very efficiently, right? It's very liquid. Mm -hmm. But when it's sitting in my wallet, it's, I'm earning a dividend. It's a security. It's a it's a much, much more stable product. And when you can do that, you can then introduce institutional money into the financial marketplace as well. Today, institutional money is sitting on the sideline. It can't get involved. The regula regulations preclude it from participating. I mean, you're only now seeing it on the margins, institutional money coming mm -hmm. into some of the – from the right. futures markets, right? But what if you can start bringing institutional money in to startups and to emerging technologies and to, de and to developing world applications in, in a way that it hasn't been possible before? One, because you have a, you now have a, the uh, global access to the offering. But two, you can do it in a way that you're liquid. Your position is liquid. So rather than buying and holding in an energy fund for five years or 10 years or investing in a, uh, a portfolio of uh, real estate or art or uh, precious metals or whatever it may be, you now can invest in that and two days later change your position to something else. Liquidity is incredibly important because when people sit on the sidelines with capital, dry powder, if you want to call it that, but are hesitant to get into the market because they don't want to get locked up, when they now have the ability to get into an opportunity, really a high yield opportunity, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that chasm between venture capital and you know, high net worth investors and family offices who, you know, can do closed door back, back shop deals to, and I probably, should, probably shouldn't say that. That's probably an offensive way to characterize that, that industry. But uh, it's not untrue. I mean, it, it, but it, it, it's an access thing, right? The other end of the world is public markets, right? Everybody's got access to the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange or, you know, Nikkei. We just want to make whatever. sure that nobody gets left out. I mean, like, no. like Jimmy, the college student wants to be able to still trade and, and get some crypto gains, right? Jimmy. Jimmy. But like, but those big institutional investors, most people in crypto, they don't care. I mean, but yeah, they, they have a lot of money already. <laughs> it's kind of disproportionate in the first place, which is why crypto has evolved. I agree. And, you know, this goes back to law. Okay. So, the jurisdiction that you're in, if the laws are as they're written, of course, our job is to make sure people comply with the laws. If the laws need to change, 
then over time that needs to happen through legislation. Gotcha. So let me ask you this, because this is a question that comes up frequently. Security tokens, utility tokens. Mm -hmm. What is your understanding? Is there actually a difference? Yeah. Oh, there's huge. It's hugely different. Okay. And it, 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 this is an, a really good question. It's a good discriminator for why certain in certain environments, certain rules apply and in other environments they don't. Well, maybe define for us uh, yeah. from your perspective, yeah. because um, you seem to have a better grasp on this than most people we've spoken yeah, I, with. Yeah, I'll be happy to. A utility token is is just that. It provides a, a function or a service, and you're you're investing in it because you intend to use that service or, or have access to that functionality in the future. There's no promise of gain. There's no promise of uh, uh, returns, uh, you know, dividends or anything like that. It's just that it has functionality. And I think Filecoin is a phenomenal example. It is one that really, I, I believe, is, is a, a perfect model for what a utility token should be. And so that is not seen under the law as a security. And, and no. these things we're talking about would not apply. Correct. Okay, so that's the utility token. On the equity token side, you now start talking about, well, why is the investor investing in it in the first place? Are they expecting a return? Are they expecting dividends? Some kind of growth, some kind of upside? If so, they're speculating on the market. That speculation over decades and decades of financial market rigor has concluded that certain rules need to apply to protect investor interests. So do, do well, diligence. Let me stop for yeah. a second there, but don't a lot of people who are buying utility tokens <laughs> Aren't they seeing it that way that they're buying? But but under the law, it doesn't apply that way. Well, the intent it, doesn't matter. It, well, it certainly matters how you market it. And I'll cite an example. In uh, fall of 2017, the SEC came out and ordered a cease and desist on Munchie. I don't know if you've heard about Munchie before. Munchie. I sometimes get the Munchie. You do. Well, it's a food related app, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Uh, I don't actually know a whole lot of detail behind the business model, but at, at a very high level, it was a uh, it was advertised as a utility token, users of the service would rate restaurants and they would rate other things related to, to food, the food industry, and they'd be rewarded for it. And again, I don't know their business model. That part, whether it was correctly characterized or not, is not the issue. The issue is they were marketing that there was going to be large returns to their investors. There's going to be all of this financial reward for participating, not the utility of the token, but that this was a good investment because it was going to be rewarding. That, that's clearly SEC. I mean, I'm sorry, it's clearly equity marketing. And so the SEC came in and, and shut them down, ordered a cease and desist. They did not have their ICO. Well, that was an expensive evolution for the Munchie team to live through. I'm not sure how they're doing right now. They had to go get something to eat. Not bad. <laughs> you know, off to and drink, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I want to ask you about then. So how do you think the SEC would view something like Ethereum or Stellar, these companies that are basically these blockchain infrastructure platforms where uh, they need these tokens for these other smart contracts and people are building on top of that. So in my mind, that seems like a, a big utility. But in some cases, they can say, oh, well, that's a big investment because if you got in Ethereum when it was when it did its ICO of like three thirty cents or something, and now yeah. it's a thousand dollars. I don't think anybody says that a utility token cannot appreciate, you know, if, if okay. it is serves a function that is in demand, you know, there's a, there's a demand for it, then it's, it's understandable that its value uh, may go up, but you're not standing on a mountaintop screaming, come invest in my currency because you're going to make a hundred X 
You know, that's that is we want our Lambos. They're speculating on the returns, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, the the rules have come to be as they are, and you know, we're talking jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but the rules have come to be where they are to protect investor interests. And that uninformed investor, rightly or wrongly defined, who 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 defines how you know whether one's informed or not is is what the rules say, but they begin to lead you to we need to restrict this offering. And that's how we got from Munchie being advertised as a utility token to the SEC coming in saying, hey, the way you're advertising this is a security token. You need to make sure you're compliant with all the SEC rules before you go any further. So to to your point earlier, we were talking about what is a utility token? Well, I tried to characterize what a utility token is and its functionality and how it can be used in a closed ecosystem or a larger ecosystem, but it has a, has a functional purpose and that's what delivers its value. Equity tokens are interests in the underlying asset, whether it's because the asset is expected to appreciate or because the asset is going to deliver some kind of return um, in the form of a dividend or a yield. And when that's the case, then it is an equity token. All participants need to be qualified to participate in any secondary market that is secondary market trading that is performed has to be done by equally qualified participants. And that's your distribution control uh, aspect of, of what our company does it is one of the things that we do uh, as a reg tech platform. My next question would be for ICOs who are getting ready to do their token sale or they're going to do their they're getting ready to do their token sale. They're going to do their ICO. What advice might you have for them? to help guide them down the process. Clearly, if they're if they're doing a security token, they probably should get that compliance token squared away. And maybe if they're doing a utility token, maybe what, what advice would you give them? Okay. First thing I would do is I would say, if um, you don't already have a lawyer who's advising you, I'd encourage you to get one. Okay. It's important to uh, have legal advice that is understanding of what it is that you're offering and the jurisdiction that you intend to offer it in and who the investor base uh, is that you're targeting, okay? Because all three of them play into what the right answer may be. If you, if you take a step back and, and just kind of remove yourself from the, the crypto distributed ledger environment, just go back to traditional securities. There's a, a, a well-worn path of how an offering goes to market as a private placement, for instance. And it's going to have a, a significant amount of due diligence behind it. There's an understanding of the use of proceeds. There's an understanding of the team. All of the things that would mean that if an investor has access to this information, they then should be informed, at least an understanding of the level of risk associated with the offering. So if you are just starting this path and you've got a startup idea and you want to take it to market, it's important to have the legal framework, including something that's called a private placement memorandum. This is a legal document that outlines to the investors, the future limited partners in this investment, what their rights are, what it is they're investing in, uh, what responsibilities that the general partner has. All of those things are recorded in this document. So it's not just, hey, I got a white paper, you know, come invest in my idea. This is a legitimate legal binding product that needs to be fully developed uh, so that investors are informed before they get involved. So that is my advice to somebody who's getting started. Now that sound it might sound like, wow, that's a that's a mountain. I don't want to go up that mountain. You don't want to get crossed with regulatory uh, laws either. So 
talk to a lawyer, get good. Get it's either a mountain or a six foot hole. Which yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> a dark room with little light. Right? Yeah. Uh, no. So yeah, starting out with a legal advice. Now there's, there's plenty of consultants out there and I think that they're Many of them are well qualified. Many of them. A are- lot of attorneys aren't even though well versed in this whole space yet. It's, or financial advisors, they're like deer in headlights. Well, CPAs, most of them, you know, they're not aware of how to handle taxes with crypto. This is going to take some time. So, what you're doing at Securency, 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 Securency. Yeah. See, we just we just redid that. You know, Securency, Securency. It's a, spelled the same way is uh, you're helping to legitimize yeah. this industry. You know, and we spent a moment there talking about the name of the company. The name of our company is the blending of the word securities and currency. Okay, so we are taking the traditional uh, securities products and bringing them to the distributed ledger. So compliance-aware blockchain-listed securities is effectively what you end up with. So your currency, your token, is a dividend-producing asset-backed digital currency. It's it's really the blending of the best of all the financial products that are out there. Fascinating stuff. John Hensel with Securency or Securency.com. Spelled the same way either way. Thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, check out the website if uh, you're interested in learning more about what we are and who we are. Uh, one of our very first clients, one I'd love for people to go take a look at, is the London Football Exchange. This is a really innovative application of cryptocurrencies and and equity tokens, equity ownership and professional football clubs in, in the United, in United Kingdom. Uh, you can get information on that at LFE.com. And uh, that ICO is underway. Uh, and I think it's going to be one that appeals to a lot of people around the world. It'll appeal to the hooligans. Oh, the, just the, the hooligans. hooligans. Just the hooligans. Go! Go! <laughs> thanks, right. John. Awesome. Go! Yeah. <laughs> well, pleasure being with you guys. Uh, thanks for all that you guys do. And um, anytime I can join you again, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Thank you. Mr. Travis Wright, I think we both need some rest. You know, I can I can relate with that. Yes, yeah, sleeping sleeping in your own bed. I know, you know, sleeping in my own bed, I like it. I don't, you know, I may Don't ever sleep, sleep in my bed. bed. That would be awkward. Yeah. I I won't drop any actual spoilers here, but you did mention in the Bed Crypto Mastermind that we are writing a new song. <laughs> That is true. We are writing a new song, and apparently we got a lot of the lyrics down. And I guess Joel, you you found some of the we got some music. Some music. Too. Oh my and, god! And do you have just a little bit? Do you have a little bit of sound of what we of of what did they what they're going to be expecting? Give them a little teaser of the just the sound. Oh my gosh! This is going to be epic, Travis. At least in our minds, um, it's going to be epic. At least in our minds. You know what? Or it's going to be even more embarrassing than Bye Bye Bye. I don't know if it's possible to be any more embarrassing. And you know what? I like that song. I thought that was funny. And people like that. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Talk oh, on you, it. Know you know what? We had never written a song up until that point or made a parody. And just to have that drop in their inbox as their next episode of Bad Crypto, that had to surprise some people. That probably was well, funny. Way to this happens. Uh, we're because of travels. I'm not sure when we're going to get to record it, but I would imagine it's going to happen um, in February. Yep, should be. All right. So, so as they stay in uh, podcast land, what do they say, Joel? Stay bad. Who's bad? 
The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Okay, Aaron, find a good place to edit all this crap. (laughs) The only thing that threw it off was whenever you said, yeah, let's lead in with that. And I was like, yeah, that's why I did. (laughs) Sometimes I get the feeling that he just like shakes his head and goes, why am I doing this? He's pro- I don't I don't know how much he laughs his ass off, but he has to laugh his ass off because he hears all the extra shit that nobody else hears that he takes out and laughs yes. his ass off. He has no ass left. He has no ass left. We apologize, Aaron.